Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. All right, let's uh, jump right into the sermon today. You know, last week we heard a great, great sermon that we uh, from Ta- Pastor Tavis. It was such an important topic and issue, I, I believe, that needs uh, to be discussed uh, even at a greater length for any church for that matter. Not only did I enjoy the sermon, but I really enjoyed also our block discussion. Did you guys have a great time at your blocks? Yes? All right. I hope, I hope it was as good as mine. <laughs> um, we, we discussed some of the gray areas. Um, uh, Pastor Tavis spoke on chapter 8 in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we talked about the gray areas. We talked about the behaviors and, and actions not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. And, and how do we discern things? How do we end? But the things that concern the expressions of our Christian faith. And we talked about how uh, some of our own expressions may not be of that of someone else's Christian faith. And, and we discussed just a, a wide ar- a array of different topics. We, we went from secular music. We talked about uh, in our blog, we talked about karaoke. We talked about how for this particular member, it really bothers that person uh, when he sees, oh, when, oh, I just blew it. When that person sees other Christians uh, singing karaoke, going to, you know, karaoke bars. Or, so I thought hearing that, I was like, whoa, that's kind of weird. It's like, whoa, you're a little upset. So that, we, we also had a chance to express our responses, how our, our expectations and our and just the convictions are not always matched. We talked about drinking. We talked about alcohol, gambling, even smoking. So we talked about different topics. And, and some of us, what, um, what we may be okay, uh, I, I may not be okay for others. You guys know who D.L. Moody is? You guys know who Charles Spurgeon is? So these two guys are uh, pretty big giants in the Christian faith in the early 20th century. Charles Spurgeon being known as the, the greatest preacher in modern Christianity. He was Billy Graham before Billy Graham. And D.L. Moody was an American theologian, preacher, or scholar. And he was uh, just really highly influential. So there's a story where D.L. Moody, who had considered Spurgeon to be a spiritual hero, a mentor, though they have never met, uh, just Spurgeon's influence was that great. So uh, Moody decided to fly to England and meet Spurgeon face to face. So upon arriving at his house, Spurgeon greets him at the door and said, uh, greets uh, D.L. Moody with a cigar in his mouth. So D.L. Moody, in his shock, responded, How could you, a man of God, smoke a cigar? So Spurgeon kind of lays his hand on his shoulder, Moody's shoulders and walks him down. It says, well, in the same way that a man of God could be so fat like yourself. So, um, <laughs> and you're like, wow, these are really godly men talking in a godly way. But, but, but I share this story because uh, we have to be really exercise our caution and discernment in, in, in bringing and in judging and how one's expression of faith may not necessarily be the same. I'm not here to... Uh, discuss or argue with you or, or either one is okay or not okay. But I'm saying, I mean, you know, just aside, uh, off topic, but, you know, eating fast food and, and consuming with no, uh, t- with, to no end 
I mean, that's a problem in itself as well, right? I mean, and so there's just different areas that we have to be really mindful. And, and, and in that, we have to exercise caution and discernment. There's so many other areas as well, right? How we dress, uh, the type of language that we use on the pulpit, the type of translations of the Bible that we would use in a church. Uh, does a pastor wear, uh, wear only ties and suits? Should we sing hymns only? Are, are the instruments allowed? Or what kind of instruments? Are the guitars and drums allowed? Or should we only allow pipe organs within the church building? You're like, Scott, like, these are frivolous things, man. Come on, let's get on with the sermon. I bring these things up because did you know that over the past three centuries, in modern Christianity, these are the particular topics, precisely how denominations have been formed. Meaning, meaning enough passionate Christians have gathered together and sometime ending in arguments and fights saying, we can't do that. That's not Christianity. You can't be Christian and do that. So for those reasons, people are divided. Many churches are formed and denominations are formed. You know, during the last fall fest that we had here, we conducted an evangelistic event hoping to reach the community. And one of the things that we incorporated during the service was that we had a raffle within the service. Do you guys remember that? We decided what a great idea it would be for all the guests, all the visitors, possibly new Christians or new people that have never come to church. It would be a great idea to raffle off some amazing prizes so that they would feel like, man, church is fun. Man, I want to stick around and have more fun at the Fall Fest. Did you know that one of the church members had an issue? like, how in the house of God can we allow such a thing? And there was heavy criticism for that. So the leaders had to kind of talk about it, process it. And in the end, we're like, man, what's wrong with it? <laughs> you know? But we had to also pause and think about and respect. And, 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 and all I'm saying is that there are different expressions of faith, and we have to be mindful of that. And my main takeaway in the last week's sermon and co- continuing to contemplate over the passage in the first Corinthians here, first is this, and I, I hope you guys understand this, the way I live out my faith affects others. The way you live out your faith absolutely affects others, both Christians and non-Christians. And you need to remember that, and I need to remember that. Second, I have to be okay with the fact that not everyone may be okay with what I'm okay with. Does that make sense? What you have to be okay, you have to be okay with the fact that not everyone is okay with what you're okay with. Okay? So that's something that we have to really accept. In this, we have to exercise caution and discernment rather than imposing or assuming my views and my personal convictions and exercising of my faith. I have to have an open mind. We have to be able to enter a dialogue while withholding judgment for that particular believer. Does that make sense? I really do feel the need to address that as a pastor and the leader uh, in this church. um, That that I'm constantly driven to exercise discernment and caution. Uh, If there's a chance that someone would be offended or hindered or be stumbled in the way that I behave... I want to be humble enough to pause and reassess the course of my action. 
And it's not because I'm fearful of criticism. It's not because I'm insecure about my faith or myself. It's because I'm more mindful of how my actions and decisions absolutely may affect the faith of other people. So... Also in that, uh, we don't want to be quick to judge, right? Don't come to quick conclusions about judging someone based on their behaviors or actions. And, and it's going to be really, really, uh, uh, I mean, it, it's really complicated too. So this is why we as church leaders, we get together. I think it's important why as a church body we get together, talk about what we are okay with. What are our stances on some behaviors? What are our actions and, and position in the social issues? So it, it's really multi-layer, complicated. So uh, hopefully we'll be, we'll, we will be able to tackle that issue today and also tomorrow, uh, next week as we talk about chapter 10 uh, more specifically. All right. Are you, are you guys okay with that? I, I, I know it's not the sermon for today, but I really did feel the need to address uh, in recap of the past week's sermon. With that, if you guys have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to the First Corinthians chapter nine. First chapter, First Corinthians chapter nine, and we are reading from verses nineteen through twenty-three. Nine nineteen through twenty-three, and this is a reading of God's word. For though I am free from all men. I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Can we read verses 22 and 23 together? Ready? To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men. So that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you so much for allowing us to uh, a pause and, and God find much wisdom and guidance through your holy word. God, we are a young church, God. God, we, some of us are uh, brand new believers some are still growing in our faith, Lord. Some are mature. God, we, we, we lie all over the spectrum of this journey with you, God. God, would you give us the wisdom, God? Would you convey even more clearly of your desire and will for us both individually and corporately as a church body, Lord? God, we give our years and our hearts so that you may minister to us freely today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I portioned the message to discuss two different aspects of it where Paul in chapter 9, uh, he, he's talking about, in essence, talking about the use of his freedom. 
Uh, so we, he, t- he talks about how he cautions every believer that you're absolutely free to do whatever you want to do. But remember that in your freedom, you are not to stumble other believers. So he transitions his argument. He transitions a lesson on use of freedom. And he begins to talk about himself. So it's twofold in that first he defends his apostleship. And in further second half of chapter 9, he talks about more in detail about the use of his own freedom while he's being a Christian and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul tells them, uh, remember Paul in chapter 8 verse 9 says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of, your free, exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block for the weak. And he says that. And he opens up chapter 9 by saying, Am I not free? It's a rhetorical question. It's the first of four rhetorical questions that it throws out at the audience in this chapter. And, and I don't want us to spend too much time here, but it's worth noting in just a few verses, Paul argues convincingly that they should view him as an apostle. So the Corinthian church had an issue about Paul's position in the church of Corinth. And some had issues where, Paul is Paul really considered a leader? Or how should he be viewed? Uh, should he be viewed as a, a, a leader? Should he be viewed as a, a pastor of our church? But he's not really here. And there's really no strong connection or association between Paul and the church. So Paul is defending his apostleship because people, uh, the, the letter that was written to him was stating that many people in the church were having trouble with the fact that Paul was considered an apostle to the church. And he states two simple cases while, why he is absolutely an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, first he says, simply because I've seen Jesus. So he shares his testimony and, and that he, he's referring to his vision of Christ on the road to Damascus. And he alludes to the radical conversion that he himself experienced. And he tells them, you know what, because I've seen the risen Lord, yes, I'm qualified to be an apostle. The second main reason that he gives to the church is that, you know what, that he founded the church at Corinth. He reminds them, well, guys, I know that you don't see me. I know that I'm not a member of the church right now. Physically, I'm not there. But he reminds them that he indeed himself was the founder of the church. And he states that reason, and he, he, he says that the Corinthian Christians themselves are the seal or proof of his apostolic ministry. So with these two arguments, Paul defends his apostleship against some of the Corinthian rebels who are, speaking, uh, who, who are seeking to discredit Paul's ministry in order so that Paul's influence is limited in the con- uh, context of their own church. Remember, one of the big problems that the Corinthian church uh, had was that they were really rampant, really free, re- really without any control, ex- exercising their freedom. So there were a lot of uh, um, unhealthy habits. There were a lot of uh, 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 actions that brought a lot of trouble and, 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 and uh, cacophony within the church body. And... But of all of these reasons, the main issue that the Corinthians consider Paul to be not part of that church or not to be an apostle of that church was because Paul refused the support, the financial support of their church. And because of that, the church saw, some of the church people thought, well, you're not really associated with our church. 
you're not really, uh, you have actually no relationship with our current church. And Paul engages in this argument in a very interesting way. So basically, he gives, uh, he lists off examples of how people labor, how people work. And for their labor, every one of those workers are compensated appropriately for their work. For their work. So he talks about the soldiers, he talks about the vineyard workers, he talks about the shepherds, the plowmen, you know, like the tenant farmers of today. And he talks about the threshers, meaning during the time of harvest, people would come and help out on the harvest field. So he talks about these specific examples. He simply states that for everyone who works, they're properly compensated. So he's no different in that saying, you know what? And he simply states that every apostle is in their rights to receive or to be supported by the church which they help minister or which they help uh, plant or begin their, uh, the church. So for the preaching and teaching of the apostles and the pastors, Paul says they, are, they should be compensated. You're thinking, well, that's kind of stating the obvious Well, why would that be an issue then? Well, if Paul is setting up that argument. So, and ironically, after stating that every apostle should be rightfully compensated, but the reality is so, so Corinthians are kind of confused. Well, if that's your argument, how come you're not receiving our support? Are, Are you guys with me? So Paul states that every apostle, every worker of God should be properly compensated. Uh, not totally unrelated to the traditions of uh, the Jews, where the Levites and the priests, they survived, they lived off of the support that came through the temple, temple practices. So Paul is stating this. So the Corinthians are saying, well, that's kind of confused by this because, and it's important to understand why Paul is uh, 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 bringing this up. And, and, and Paul is now getting to the essence of Remember talking about the, uh, the issue of freedom? Paul is now talking about his own freedom. So he's saying, I should absolutely be compensated for my ministry. I should absolutely, as a planter of this Corinthian church, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I should be compensated. Now he transitions his argument or his speech saying, but it is well within my rights. It is well within my freedom. But the way, but, but I choose to exercise my freedom in this regard that I refuse the support of the church. And he states his reasons why he does that. In verse 12, he says, We did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had a mission. Not only did Paul preach the gospel, but he wanted to help uh, find its way into the hearts of his listeners and as many people as possible. You see, Paul was a missionary. Uh, He was quite aware that expecting his brand new hearers 
Uh, at that time, for every person who, who gave such speech, every time people would gather, a teacher or an orator would give a presentation, they were expected to pay in exchange for hearing or listening to such speech or presentation. So Paul, being a missionary, he didn't want to cause any barrier for potential listeners. He wanted to make sure that the gospel message would be carried out without placing the burden for new possible converts. Does that make sense? So in that, guess what he did? So he considered himself as a missionary. So instead of relying on the support of the church or the Christians, he got himself a job. You know what kind of job that Paul had? Any guess? He used to make tents. How many of you guys have t- uh, gone on a mission trip? How many of you guys have ever heard a term called tent making or tent maker? And that's often the term that is used for missionaries who live, spend their uh, time in ministering to the third world countries. And they often take on full-time jobs. And on the side, or they have a cover-up job, right? And that's their tent-making job. And on the side, without relying the support of the local church or local believers, because oftentimes that's not in their culture to support a guy who's carrying the gospel. So because they're to, to not burden the local believers, I have a job. My ministry is not dependent on the support of the local believers. Does that make sense? So when I live my life as a missionary, that missions, uh, the 100% of the missions was supported not by the locals, what? By the strong and the healthy church back in the United States. So I had a tent-making job. So that was to reduce the burden of the potential hearers or the recipients of the gospel. So Paul had a job. See, he's saying he's now explaining, well, the reason why I'm resisting your support, the reason why I denied your support is because, first and foremost, I wanted to make sure that everyone had easy access to the gospel. And the second reason was, conveyed in verses 15 through 18, and I'll read verse 16 to you. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel." He simply says, you know what, I do this because I want to remind myself that my reward is not found, is not cashed in, is not exchanged, is not given here on my my, my life here on earth. But rather, I'm fixed on what my reward is in heaven. So Paul defends his apostleship, and Paul talks about the use of his own freedom so that explains, do you guys understand what the, what, what, where Paul is going at now? So Paul explains that I have the freedom to receive support, but I refuse that. But he now is educating the believers and the audience in the Corinthian church was so that I can reach more people. Second point that I want to make is that Paul's use of freedom is, is so that simply he could reach more diverse groups of people. 
You have to understand that Paul was a missionary. And Paul is exercising the freedom that he has, the God-given freedom. So he's able to do whatever he's, in a way that he wants, but he's using the freedom that he has so that he can reach more diverse groups of people. And, And this is another issue that people were raising up against Apostle Paul. So some people cannot understand why Paul, being a Jewish man, that he was easily associating himself with the Gentiles. In those contexts, Paul would surrender his Jewish traditions. You guys know that, what, what is the one distinct uh, uh, fact about uh, the Jewish people? He had, they had very strict what? What kind of laws? Dietary laws. They were uh, very strict on what they could eat or what they could not eat. So now Paul being Christian, a preacher who always talked about we're now of the law, we're free from the law, right? So Christ is the end of the law. So some Jews were finding Paul in context, man, this guy eats whatever he wants. So I, don't, I mean, I wasn't there, but I'm guessing, well, well, let's suppose like they had access to pork, right? But let's say they, they were not allowed to eat pork. So they were cooked in a certain way. But so so the, some of the Jews would find Paul as like, well... He's having dinner with the family here. Man, he, that, this guy is eating whatever. He looks, by the way that Paul was eating, he looked no different than any given Gentile. So the Jews had really, really a difficult time understanding, wrapping their minds around Paul's behaviors. And some of the Gentiles would see, well, when Paul is rolling with the Jews, though, he would revert back to the, the kosher ways and eating what the Jews were partaking in. So some of the people had really trouble with, man, man, you just got to choose one way. Be one, man. What are you? Are you, are you? are you of us? Or are you with them? You know, do, we do this sometimes. Right? We feel the need to associate. We want to make sure that whose side are you on? So the Christians in Paul's ministry that they encounter is that they have the exact same issue. Paul, are you with us or are you with them? They felt the need to separate whose team that apostle belonged to. So Paul is explaining why his actions were in such a way. He's saying, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Sometimes I eat when I roll with these guys. I'm going to eat what they eat. But when I eat, roll with these guys, I have no problem eating what they eat. He's saying, my conscience is clear. The way I'm going back and forth, while you may be bothered and be upset by, understand that I'm exercising my freedom. I'm not just exercising my freedom for my own convenience, but I'm doing that. There's a purpose in this. Paul is saying, I'm doing it so that more people have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I have no issues. If it means that I have a chance to speak into their culture, if it means that they give me an opportunity so I can share my testimony and share about Jesus Christ, then I will exercise my freedom in this just so that people may have have greater access to this. And he's saying, This is really incredible. He says, um, that's just my freedom, and I'm exercising my freedom so that I may win, so that I may gain more people. 
And he even says in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Paul is speaking to the direct context of the people there. Did you know at that time, anywhere from 10 to 30% of the entire population were slaves? So, uh, in, in those days, you're not just uh, born into a slave family. I could be a free man, but I can assign myself to be a slave to somebody else. If I had great financial debt, if I have some reasons where I have to make extra money and, and, and assigning myself as a slave to somebody, if that, that can create more, um, uh, what is it, uh, economic opportunity, uh, financial opportunity, people became slaves. And Paul is using that. You know what? I'm a free man. I'm not a slave. But he's saying, in spiritual sense, but I'm making myself a slave so that I may win more. And this is why Paul is saying, I will become all to all people. He's saying, I'm versatile, man. I will cross back and forth. I'm cross-cultural. I'm, I'm cross, did I say cross-country? Cross, I'm cross-cultural. I'm a missionary. I will go here. I'm versatile enough to preach the gospel to these people. And when I go over there, I will be able to just as versatile to preach the gospel in different cultures. And that's what Paul is saying when he says, I am free. And his, he was, his focus was in that he, he, he sought to win both the Jews and the Gentiles. And some people had real problem with that. Some people really had uh, great issues with man, Paul's identity. Are you, are you, what are you? Like they had a hard time figuring this thing out. And I think it's really important for us to remember that for Paul, his use of freedom was not for his own convenience, but it was for contextualization. One glaring omission when people discussing this passage, uh, the, the, the great, one great omission that we have in, in, in talking about First uh, Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and even 10, is that Paul was, was clearly set, there was a, def, a definite purpose and exercise of his freedom. And he used his freedom to make himself more versatile in the context for the purpose of preaching the gospel. But for us, sometimes we use this passage to simply convey or impose what we are okay with. We make an issue of convenience where Paul is making an issue of what? Contextualization. Paul explains that the exercise of his freedom, catering to both the Jewish and the Gentile culture, was to have them access to the gospel more easily. It's ultimately an issue of essence and relevance. It's an issue of essence and relevance. And the question that you and I need to ask ourselves is this. Can I be relevant without losing the essence of who I am? Can I be relevant without losing the essence of who I am? If I were to ask you who the greatest evangelist in our generation, many of you may say, who would you say? 
the greatest evangelist, evangelist of our time. Billy Graham. And I don't think not too many people would argue just impact and, and just, uh, just, uh, uh, just how prolific his ministry was. And during, uh, during his younger years, and he gained notoriety, he became immensely popular among Christian circles, but, but uh, just, he was even more, he, even, he was just as influential and accepted and regarded with high respect and reverence, even in the secular field. There's a story that he was widely regarded as a spiritual father for many stars in Hollywood. While many of these uh, Hollywood actors and comedians and celebrities were not Christians, they often sought out the counsel and the advice of Billy Graham. And he was often asked to meet them in their party scenes. So you would see Billy Graham rolling up to the nightlife, night scenes of Hollywood. And and, and I, I wasn't there. I mean, just what I've heard is that he was often seen in bars late night, conversing, talking, and hanging out with these Hollywood stars. And, and during that time, they would pour out their hearts and their lives' troubles. And Billy Graham would simply sit, uh, uh, sit while sipping on his 7-Up. I guess his, that was often his uh, choice of drinks. And he would converse with them. I mean, that was often criticized in the, um, in the Christian circle because you being a man of God, you being an evangelist of your stature, you have no business being seen in such scenes. You could obviously understand how misconstrued it can be. The, and the optics may not be right for many Christians. But during that time, Billy Graham's conscience was clear. His purpose was clear. I think he emanated a lot of the, the spirit that Apostle Paul had. If it means that I enter into your arena, if it means that my reputation takes a hit, if it means that I could be criticized for my actions or my association, but... My goal is to reach more for Jesus Christ. In that, Pastor Billy Graham exercised his freedom, carrying the message of the gospel and contextualizing. So that word contextualizing comes up often when you understand evangelism and missions. So, um, you know, my wife and I, we have a little bit of experience uh, living as missionaries in the Muslim country. So uh, one of the biggest festivals in the Muslim culture is the celebration of Ramadan. So they choose 30 to 35 days of the year, and they completely abstain from food from, um, from sun up to sundown. So uh, unlike Christian fasts, they, don't, they not only eat, but they also do not drink any water as well. But there is a start time and the finish time every day. Sunrise to sundown. So uh, a lot of missionaries uh, were kind of split on, you know what? Uh, you know what? Um, this is the Muslim holiday. There's no grounds. There's no reason for any Christian, especially as missionaries, partake in a secular or a or opposing culture of another religion. So many people thought they use that time to pray against it. Many people use that time as spiritual warfare. Like, man, they would have fight. The enemy's working. So a lot of the missionaries 
really, really abhorred that holiday. They really, really used that time to uh, contrast themselves and by not participating at all in any of the practice during Ramadan. Because upon the first year when I got there, I, I kind of assessed the situation. Said, well, well, I used to fast as Christian. Well, this is a big deal for these uh, Muslims. I, and I just kind of wrestled with it. I kind of thought to myself, you know, you know what? I saw it as an opportunity. I saw it as an opportunity that I would engage something in that they're, they're so accustomed to. And I said, I committed myself to fast with them. So a lot of the missionaries, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But for me, it was strictly so that I re-engage in their culture. So during that time, these guys would ask me, so what is the first question if you see a non-Afghan, non-Muslim guy? Seemingly, he's not Muslim. I don't look like a, a traditional Muslim or traditional Afghan, right? I have far less hair on my... That's an easy giveaway. So he would see me as like, well, and I tell him, well, you're not eating. How come you're not eating? Well, I tell him, because I'm fasting. What do you think the next uh, ensuing question would be? Are you a Muslim? That's it. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to rocket scientists to get to the next question. They ask me, so are you a Muslim? Oh, you must be a Muslim, so that's where you're fasting. I tell them, no, I'm not a Muslim. I'm actually a Christian. What do you think the next question would be? Then why are you fasting when you're not a Muslim? Why are you as a Christian partaking in Ramadan? And for me, that's just a sure way to share my testimony. I'm not making you to agree with me or disagree with me. I'm just sharing my story. So I would use that as an opportunity for me to engage in our dialogue of discussing different faiths. Contextualizing. Now, the danger is that if I'm not careful, the danger is that I get right, I get sucked right into the practices and the beliefs and the traditions of Islam. But if I'm careful, cautious, prayerful, don't forget that why I'm engaging them in such culture, then there's a great benefit to the possibility of sharing the gospel with more people. We talked about freedom last week. Powerful sermon. Controversial at, at times. Certainly, it would, we would need to pause and think about and assess some of the actions that we engage in. Maybe we are too far mindless. Maybe sometimes we're not as cautious or careful as we may be. But two things, I think, stand still true. Two things that I conveyed to you at the beginning part of my sermon. First is that your actions absolutely carry an impact to those around you, both Christians and not Christians. And I think instead of making an issue of what we are allowed to do and what we are forbidden to do, I think I want us to learn from the examples of Paul. The great freedom that we are given, can we perhaps use and exercise that God has given to us, that freedom, we use that freedom to be a better testimony. Be a better witness for those. If there is a chance that they can be drawn to us with the actions they see in us and from us. You have 
probably have heard this statement where, in this world, to some people, you may be the only Bible they read. You may be the only Bible that some non-Christians read. Meaning, in the way that you act, in the way you speak, in the way you love and serve those around you, people can be either be drawn closer to God or to be pushed further away from God. And I think when we talk about influence, I think we need to understand that it's not necessary. We don't necessarily have a choice. Every person has the power and carries the ability to impact. And I pray today, as we have learned from the example of Paul, may we, what would happen if we exercise our freedom? What if we allocate all of our rights so that our focus becomes, man, how can we better testify Jesus? How can we be a better witness? How can we, as a result of us engaging with the culture and the people in our lives, can they be drawn to Christ? Wouldn't that be amazing? You guys know that you guys are missionaries. You don't need a title. You don't need, a, 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 a paid, you don't need to be a, a paid staff of a church. God has already, upon you being saved, God has already commissioned you into the mission field. And people are reading People are reading you. People are watching you. And people are extracting information. Some people are curious about Jesus because of you. Some people are, whew, They're not as interested about Jesus because of you. Paul says, I will become all things to all people. So that, so that I may preach Jesus Christ. So that I become even a greater witness of my Lord and Savior. May that be our encouragement. May that be our challenge as we live our lives this coming week. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer?